0: I've been doing a series called Judging God, and uh, sometimes when people hear that phrase, they think, well, who are we to judge God? Well, we're talking about judging God in the sense of we make assessments about people. We meet people for the first time and we assess them. We assess them based on whether they look happy or they look upset. Uh, we probably approach them more tentatively if they look a little bit grumpy, but if they have a huge smile on their face, uh, we make an assessment and we approach them accordingly. But then we make deeper assessments as we go. Unfortunately, we live in a world where some people make assessments based on the color of skin or based on Wealth, or position, or education, or ethnicity. And those are the most deceiving, most uh, (laughs) unfortunate ways to make an assessment about anyone. The best way to make an assessment about somebody is to start from a positive perspective. Love believes all things. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. I have found that perception can be a liar. And we need to go beyond our initial perceptions and test everything. And the best way to assess a person is to spend time with them. So this series is called Judging God. Because we make assessments, we make judgments. And whether we've realized it or not, we've assessed God, we've made judgments about God. And maybe our religious upbringing has caused us to have particular types of judgments about God, depending on what denominational stream we've come from, what our religious experience has been. Some of us have made judgments about God because we've had negative or ugly encounters with male authority figures in our life, things that could stem right back to our childhood. And so what we don't realize is we project those images onto the image of God. We project a lot of things onto God. It all started in the Garden of Eden where Satan was deliberately trying to get Adam and Eve to project an image onto God that they had no experience with. They had never experienced a God who was stingy. They had never experienced a God who was selfish or self-serving. They never experienced that from God, and yet Satan was trying to project that image, and he caused them to take offense on a suspicion, on a presumption, and they took offense, and then took the next leap. They took offense, and then made a judgment about God, and that was the beginning of the fall of the human race. I want to help you to make right judgments about God. Because when we judge God right, we open, we open the windows of heaven and the doorways and the gateways of God's blessing. So this morning, the title of my message is this, and we're going to put it up on the screen, The God You See. And that's deliberately written in a small s, a small e, and a double e. The God you see is the God you'll see. Meaning, the God you see in your mind is what you'll experience. Over 14 times in the four Gospels, Jesus made very deliberate reference to the fact that people experienced a miracle or a touch of God based on their mental position or faith about God. Many times he said, according to your faith, because of your faith you are made whole. And faith is, is a judgment, it's an assessment about God. In fact, <clears throat> I make a statement here that faith in a promise... Can I have that on the screen? I know I've just jumped forward, uh, but can you put that screen up? I've jumped forward in my notes. Have we got it? Faith in a promise is a judgment about the one who made the promise. When you put faith in one of the promises of the Word of God, you are actually making a judgment about the one who made the promise. If I make you a promise and you don't believe it, you won't believe that promise based on whatever assessment you've made about me. Whatever judgment, whatever character finalization you've come to about me. But if I make you a promise and you trust it and you believe that promise, your faith in that promise will be in proportion to how you perceive me, the one who made the promise. Can I get an agreement? We're there, right? Okay, absolutely. And so, uh, as it says there, faith in a promise is a judgment about the one who made the promise. I want to take you very quickly to Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 57. What I'm about to read is the same story as repeated in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. I'm not going to read both verses. I've made copies of my notes this morning. If you want to get the added material that I will not cover and do more of a Bible study, the notes are available up the front it's just free after church come and get it but I'm going to read from Matthew 13 verse 53 to 57 when Jesus had finished these parables he moved on from there coming to his hometown he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers they made two judgments Wow, there's a gift of wisdom on him, and there is supernatural power flowing out of him. These are two judgments they made. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers they asked? And then they went on, and they asked themselves a question. Isn't this the, carp- the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And they took offense at him. You see, they made a judgment. He has divine wisdom. He has supernatural power. And so then they turned to the person who had these gifts and they made a judgment about him based on his past and his family that they knew. He's one of us. Mary's his mother. We know his brothers, we we know his sisters. And whatever conclusions they were coming to, they came to negative conclusions about him, Jesus. Which absolutely amazes me because it starts with the fact that they recognize that he had a divine gift of wisdom. And he had supernatural power coming out of him. And then they make a judgment about him. And it goes on to say... uh, Aren't these his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his own town and his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. In some translations it said he could do but a few miracles because of their lack of faith. You see, a person's promise... Only carries as much weight as their character does in your perception. A person's promise only carries as much weight as their character does in your perception. Faith is a judgment about the character of God. When we put faith in one of the promises of God, we put faith in that promise because we have faith in the character of God. And so here in this story, we see that God's hands were tied. You say, well, nobody can tie God's hands. God has decreed that anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. That's God's rule. Those are God's principles. And so we effectively shut God out or tie his hands when we judge him in a negative light. When we look at a promise and we doubt the promise, what we're really doing is doubting the one who made the promise. They made a judgment about him based on who they thought he was. Unfortunately, sometimes we make, a ju- we make judgments about God based on who we think he is. And religion will mess us up. Doctrines of men will mess us up. Wrong conclusions about circumstances that happen that are not based on the Word of God, conclusions that we come up with our human rationale will lead to incorrect doctrine or theology about who God is. So faith in a promise is a judgment about the one who made the promise. And so very simply this morning, I'm going to do something really simple and hopefully a lot of fun, and I'm going to get you to participate with me. Because preaching is only as effective as learning is happening. (laughs) If nobody's learning, then preaching isn't effective, all right? And uh, the best way to learn is to participate. And so, as we're coming to the end of this series, and if you please, don't conclude that that means this is the last sermon. I never know when a series is going to end. Two weeks ago, Matt said to me, Pastor Rob, so is that the last sermon on the subject? I said, We'll see. <laughs> That's the best answer I could give. But as we're coming to the conclusion of this series, of judging God. The God you see is the God you'll see. The God that you have confined or released or stamped an image on in your mind, the God that you project in your understanding, is the God you'll experience. You see, Jesus in his hometown When they looked at him, even though they acknowledged that he had divine wisdom and divine power, their their insecurity and their inferiority, they were from Galilee, and there was a slur over anyone who was a Galilean. And so their inferiority and insecurity was challenged by the greatness on Christ. And so instead of being proud of one of their own for maybe a hundred different reasons, maybe for the reason that it was questionable if Joseph was the, 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 the father of Jesus, and we know that was a divine interaction, but whether they had a slur over them, we know that Jesus experienced rejection from, from, from childhood. There was question about his legitimacy and his birth, And uh, whether he was illegitimate. And that's why the prophet said when he prophesies about the fact that Jesus would pay the price for our sins. The Messiah, Yeshua, would pay the price for our sins. The first curse that the prophet talks about is he was despised and rejected by men. That started around the controversy of the legitimacy of his birth. And God allowed that. It was something supernatural and divine and people had to believe or people could surmise or people could suspect or people could gossip. But he allowed Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, to be subject to the same curse of rejection that every one of us are born into the world with. And so from the very beginning of his childhood, he carried on him the spirit of rejection or the curse, shall I say, of rejection. So why they, the personal reasons why they came to the conclusions they did about Jesus is relative to each and every one of them. Who maybe took offense at him because, well, we don't even know if he's a legitimate son of Joseph. Or, oh, I know his brothers and his sisters and their little rat bags. And I remember him, and he's just the son of a carpenter. And whatever their perceptions were, they projected it onto the Christ and they judged him based on their perceptions and their miscalculations. And in doing so, they miscalculated a visitation from God. We don't want to be a people who miss God when God shows up. We want to be the people who are hungry, waiting for him, hanging on every word that is written, (laughs) believing, trusting, standing in faith. This whole village could have seen a revival and seen mass miracles, but they only saw but a few. Because they made an assessment, a judgment about him. We make judgments, assessments all the time. And I would encourage you to make a right judgment about God. So we're going to do something here. And I've pulled out a couple of scriptures that talk about the love and the grace of God. I'm going to paint a picture of God. But I'm not going to fabricate one out of thin air. I am going to paint the picture of God, not a picture of God, the picture of God based on what the word of God has to say about him. And so in Psalm 103, verse 8 to verse 14, this is what it says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Everyone repeat after me. The Lord is compassionate and and gracious. Stop. Now, let's not just do that parrot fashion. I want you to think about what that means. Because the more you break down every sentence that comes out of a verse, the more you're taking ownership of it. The more you break it down and say, well, what does this mean to me? And you verbalize it in your own vernacular, the more it's going from your head into your spirit. Are you hearing me? So the scripture says the Lord is compassionate and gracious. So when I read stuff like this, because I want it to get into my soul, I want it to get into my head, my thoughts, my emotions, I want it to get into my spirit, I say, you know what, the God that I believe in, my dad, The creator of this universe, he is compassionate and he is full of grace. You see, now I've broken it down. I'm not just repeating what somebody else said. Now I'm saying what I say. I'm saying what I believe. I'm making my judgment because I've taken the word of God, broken it down into my words, and I'm allowing that to become my assessment of God. You know what that is? That's coming into agreement with what the Word of God says. Every time you take a scripture and you break it down and you put your name in there, you put your vernacular in there, you put your situation in there, you are coming into agreement with the Word of God and it's no longer just what God is saying. It's becoming your judgment about God at what God's going to do. Can I get an agreement? That's good preaching, isn't it? That's a good thought. We need to understand that. It's very, very important. So it says, the Lord, my God, my dad, my creator, the one that I look up to, he is a compassionate God. He is full of mercy. He is full of love. He's full of understanding. Take all the attributes of compassion. If a person's compassionate, are they understanding? If a person is compassionate, are they kind? If a person is compassionate, are they loving? Yes, 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 all the above. And so I break that down. The Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. Wow, we need to really emphasize that and break down some religious tradition. He's slow to anger. How do you have a relationship with somebody if you think that any given moment they're going to blow up at you? We've all had relationships with somebody like that, right? No names, uh, no pointing. <laughs> uh, we've all had relationship with people like you, th- that's a That's a bearer of a relationship. You don't want to live like that. But oftentimes, that's the God that the enemy has painted in our minds. Let the Word of God paint the only correct picture of who God is. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. So, it says he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He doesn't just love. He's abounding in love. He will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Wow! Wow! So he can get angry, but it's a short-lived thing. Why? Because he's compassionate. He's gracious. Grace curtails anger. Grace shortens the length of, of disappointment. Amen. Let's read the next verse. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Wow, man, that is a liberator. That is a liberator. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Why will God heal me? I'm not good enough. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. So why shouldn't he heal me? Will God bless me? Will God help me get this job? Will God give me a breakthrough? Will I get a miracle? Well, I haven't been perfect. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You know how many people say, "Oh, well, you know, uh, everything went wrong," and I, I believe God did that because you know I did this and I failed here and I did that, and and so God's letting me experience these negative things. Wait a minute. That is a doctrine. It is now a belief system about the character and the person of God. Now, take your doctrine and line it up with the Word of God, and the Word of God says He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. I love it. You kidding me? This is one of my go to verses all the time. I have, I have the same type of demons that sit on my shoulder and they try to, I was going to say pee in my ear, but I won't say it. They sit on my shoulder and they pee in my ear and they try to fill me up with a lot of garbage, refuse, and they try to tell me that I'm not measuring up. Of course I don't measure up. Of course I don't. I don't measure up. That's why it's called grace. I never deserved it in the first place. (laughs) He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can I have the next verse? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, who respect him, who honor him. It's not fear as in to be in, to cower in the face of, it's fear as in to respect, to honor, and to give position to. So the only qualifying. Issue is not your performance, but whether or not you'll give him the respect and the honor that he deserves. Wow. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who respect him and honor him and trust him. Praise God. I love that. Next verse. For he knows how we are formed. Oh, sorry. As, uh, I skipped something, sorry. As far as the east is from the west. Did you know that the east and the west can never catch up to each other? Because the more you go east, the f- right? You all got it? Good. All right. So as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Listen, we project onto God what we know about ourselves. Let me explain. People do the wrong thing by us. And we make every attempt we can to forgive them. But we look at them through this tainted, tinted screen. You got me once, you're not getting me again. God says, hang on. That's part of the record of what you've done wrong. I am going to separate it from you as far as the east is to the west so when God looks at you, he doesn't see that dossier. He doesn't see that file. He's not tainted in his vision of you. Only God could do that. Because I've been trying for a long time and I haven't gotten there. I still look at some people who have hurt and wounded me, and there's still some tints. But God says, no, I'm going to take that shade. I'm going to take that colored uh, screen, and I'm going to separate it from the image of who you are as far as the east is from the west. Wow. Wow. Thank you, God. That's pretty cool. But you see how we project what we know about us Onto God. This is how we see people. And so subliminally we just project that on God. And that must be how God sees us. Remember I shared with you last week about the ten spies who said we can't go in. We can't go in. The land devours everybody. And uh, you know everyone there is of great size. And we were as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so we were in theirs. Wait a minute. If they're such monstrous giants, how did you stop and survey them? How did you stop and have this conversation with them? How do you know that you are a grasshopper in their eyes? What we see and what we know about ourselves is what we'll project onto another. And so how we treat people who have wronged us often becomes the projection that we project onto God. God is not like us. Hello? Yes sir. God's awesome. Let's go to the next verse. As a father has compassion on his children, I don't know what your experience has been with your biological or non-biological father or even mother. And I'm sorry and I apologize That man's inhumanity to man makes countless millions mourn. I'm sorry that humanity can be so brutal. I'm sorry that flesh and blood can be harsh. I'm sorry that we're not born into always a world of love and acceptance. I'm sorry that there always seems to be somebody who wants to break your heart. But can I... Paint the correct picture of God. He's a daddy who has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who respect him and honor him. Amen. Amen. And uh, is there one more verse to that? For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we're dust. Now, you could read that and see that as an insult. It's not an insult. I love that. You see, one of the attributes of God that I love the most is that he gets me. You see, when the prophet prophesied about the Yeshua, the Messiah who was to come, one of the things that he said, the spirit of counsel and might will be upon him... The spirit of understanding. God has a spirit of understanding. The devil has painted God with the spirit of judgment. No. God has a spirit of understanding. And when David writes this, for he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we're dust. What he's saying is God gets us. He understands we're broken. He understands there are parts of us that were affected by the curse and by the ongoing curse of humanity. He gets us. He understands us. And He puts everything together based on understanding things about us that no other person knows. Wow. That that concept of God totally puts me at ease. It relaxes me. He's not judging me on a comparison level with you. Someone who's bigger and better than me. No, he's looking at me based on what he knows about who I am, how I got hurt, where I'm broken, where I'm deficient, and he understands me and he gets me. Wow. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. All right. So that's that verse. So this is what I'm going to do. On my notes, I've got two other scriptures. We don't have time for them. But this is what we're going to do. I want you to stand. And you see, scripture is not just for casual reading. You can casually read it. But scripture is for memorization. Why? You say, oh, I stink at memorizing. Well, the reason why scripture was always meant to be repeated, you'll see in the Old Testament, they had to write it on the doorposts. They had to write it on little, uh, they had bands on their head with little boxes, and they had scriptures there, and they had tassels on their garment, and they would write scripture there. Why? Because it's not for casual reading, it's for constant memorization. You see, the scriptures that you remember are the pictures of God that are in front of you. Did you hear me? Scriptures meant to help us project the right image of God. So we're going to go back to the beginning of this scripture. And I want you, I've done this other times with the church. Uh, let's go back to the first verse. And I want you now to say this verse to yourself. And whenever you read Scripture, I really encourage you to do this. This is taking hold of it and coming into agreement with it. So the first line says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. And uh, let's stop there. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. I want every one of you to repeat that, but not based on the words that are on the screen. I want you to break that down. I want you to put that in Omar language. I want you to put that in Patrice language. I want you to expand it, amplify it. So. For me, I would say the Lord who's my dad, who's my confidant, the guy that I absolutely trust, the supreme being, my God, my Father is full of love, full of patience, full of kindness, full of understanding. He is all that. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He gives grace. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. And man, he is way slow to getting angry. He is so patient. He is kind. He is gracious with me. See, that's the first half sentence. Now you all know why I can preach so long. (laughs) All right? So I want everybody right now, all you're going to do is take the Lord is compassionate and gracious. And I want you to speak that out. This is your agreement about who God is. Based on those two attributes, he's compassionate and gracious. At the count of three, I want to hear everyone. One, two, three. Awesome. Yeah. You're getting that into your vocabulary. When you get that into your vocabulary, you're getting it into your head. When you're getting it into your head, you're getting it into your emotions. When you're getting it into your head and your emotions, it's getting into your spirit. It's becoming part of you because now it's your language. The Lord, my dad, my father, my God, he is so loving. He is so kind, compassionate. Wow, he just does acts of kindness towards Rob Scarallo that's what compassion is. He does acts of kindness, random acts of kindness for me. You see? You see? Come on. If a person's compassionate, will they do random acts of kindness? So, did I just lie? If God is compassionate, compassionate people do random acts of kindness. So I can take that and correctly, rightly say and be in agreement with the Word of God and say, my Father in heaven, He does random acts of kindness towards me. What am I doing? I am correcting my image of god i am correcting what i am projecting onto god because i will experience the god i see here is the god i'll see you see catch this principle In the story of the talents, God gives, uh, Jesus is telling a story about God. He says, you know, one guy had ten talents, another guy had five, another guy was given two. And uh, the master said, okay, uh, I want you to invest it wisely. And the guy with ten made twenty, the guy with five made ten, and the guy with two said, master, knowing that you're a hard and demanding master, I was afraid, and so I hid the talent in the ground. Here's your money. And Jesus, who's telling the story to parallel a picture about God, he says, now I will judge you with your own words. Since you think I am a hard and demanding and unfair master, Even what you have will be taken from you. You see, as you judge, you'll be judged. And so I want to open my projection and my image of God and judge God right. Because that's what I'll experience. Hello? Amen. Amen. Now let's say slow to anger. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Come on, mix it up. You speak it out. You preach. Become the preacher. Preach to yourself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Come on, preach to yourself. God is slow to anger. Break that down into your language. That's it. This is powerful stuff. Verse 9 He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Come on, what does that sound like? God doesn't bear grudges. Yay! I've I've had a lot of friends who bear grudges. God doesn't bear grudges. God doesn't hang it over my head. God doesn't have an attitude with me. Whoa, yes! Come on, let's paint the correct picture of God because the God you see will be the God you see. Next verse. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Come on, break it down. Hey, God doesn't treat me based on the mistakes I've made, man. He would have whooped my butt already. God is kind. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. God is good. I thank you, God. You don't treat me based on what I deserve. You treat me better. You treat me with mercy. You treat me with grace. You treat me with goodness. You don't don't repay me for my sin. You bless me irrespective of my sin. Everybody with me? All right, come on, give the Lord a big clap. Very quickly, take a seat, take a seat real quickly. uh, That's the love and the grace of God. I got several other verses for that. Very quickly, the power, protection, and provision of God. The power protection and provision of god what does god look like in the area of power and protection and provision psalm 27 verse 1 to 3 the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid so yeah awesome come on now Put that into your vernacular. God, who is Lord over all, he is Lord over all lords, He is king over all kings. He will always shine the light for me. He's my salvation. He's my get out of jail. He's the one who rescues me. He's the one who delivers me. So who will I be afraid of when the Lord is shining his light on my life? The Lord is the stronghold. He's the strength. He's the fortress. He's the uh, he's my rock. He's my high tower. The Lord Is the stronghold of my life, who am I going to be afraid of? Next verse. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Whoa, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Who are your enemies? Cancer is your enemy. Who are your enemies? Depression is your enemy. Who are your enemies? Poverty is your enemy. Who are your enemies? Conflict is your enemy. Who are your enemies? Whatever they are, whoever they are. When the wicked advance against me to devour me. We're not talking about flesh and blood. We're talking about the powers of darkness behind flesh and blood. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. We have projected a picture onto the devil that makes him big and horrible. He's horrible, but he's not big. We have made the badness of the devil bigger than the goodness of God. And that's the projections that we project. And so, I love this. When the enemy advances against me to devour me, it is my enemies. It's cancer that will stumble and fall. It's inferiority that will stumble and fall. It's a rejection that will suffer loss. I will not suffer loss because God is my fortress. God is my high tower. God is my rock. God is my deliverer. God is my salvation. Whatever comes against me, It will lose the battle because God has already won the victory. Praise God. You see, you could casually read the word, or you can take the word. And let it become your living confession. Project the correct image of God. Do you know what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? I think it's verse 18. And we who now no longer have veiled faces, as we behold his image, We are being transformed into His image by the Spirit of the Lord. Some of you are grumpy because you have an image of a grumpy God. Some of you are miserable because you got a miserable picture of God. As we behold His image, as we behold His glory, some of you are angry and have fits of rage because that's what you think your daddy's like what you behold you become let's get the picture of god right because when we judge him wrong it is a curse that comes against us i want to judge him right he's a good god hallelujah my enemies will stumble the demons will fall flat on their face uh, it goes on it says though an army besiege me my heart will not f- fear Though war break out against me even then I will be confident come on guys listen I want you to make the word of God not something that gathers dust I want it not to be something you casually read before you go to bed at night now I lay my bible down to sleep no I want the Word of God to become something that is constantly painting the correct image of God. Amen. Because when it paints the correct image of God, it opens the windows of heaven and it opens the gateway of blessing. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. Here, uh, Psalm 23. I hate what religion does. Psalm 23 has become synonymous with funerals. The guy who's in the casket, all due respect to anyone who's lost anyone, okay? But the person who's in the casket isn't walking through the valley of the shadow of death, they're already there. This psalm is not about them this psalm is about the living and what irks me is that it's become synonymous with a, a funeral and with death but really this is the passage of life listen to what he says the lord is my shepherd what does that mean He's the one who leads me. He's the one who guides me. He will fight the the wolves for me. He will fight the lions for me. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who's protecting me. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's not death. That's living. He allows me to rest. He gives me blessing. He puts greenery around me. I'm not in a desert. I'm in a place of abundance. Hallelujah. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He brings me to places of peace. Listen, if you're constantly going to places of conflict, I'll almost guarantee it's because you got the wrong image of God. God is the shepherd who brings us to places of peace. If you have an image of God who's always measuring you up and measuring everybody else up and he's quick to get angry and he's always judging, guess what? That image will take you to places of conflict because how you see God is how you're going to be with everyone else and that kind of behavior will take you to places of conflict. But when you see God as a gracious God who's not measuring you up constantly, he accepts you. He understands you. He shows grace. He shows patience. You will not be quick to judge other people, and you will experience quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. It's actually to his joy that I experience joy. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I won't be afraid for you're with me. Your rod and your staff are there. You're ready to beat the snot out of the biggest, ugliest devil. Hallelujah! Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid because you're there with your rod and with your staff. Take that, devil. We get robbed when we let religion take this passage and assimilate it with just a funeral. No, this is about life. This is about the God who will walk with me through the passage of life, and it paints a picture of the kind of life He wants to give us. Wow, this is good preaching. When I go home, I'm going to listen to it. He says, uh, <laughs> you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You see, some of us have got a picture of God that he's slow to act, and he's stingy, and he, he, he doesn't want to bless us. And so when something seems to be going wrong, oh, everything's going wrong, oh, my goodness, uh, it's going to get worse, and so-and-so is going to do this, and then that's going to happen. David paints a picture of God. He says, in the middle of negative circumstances, in the middle of my enemies, when all of hell has rallied against me, God is going to set up banquet tables and he's going to bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. This passage ain't for the dead. It's for the living. (laughs) Praise God. You read the rest of it. Come on. You take these verses and break them down and make them part of your vernacular. Get them inside of you. The faithfulness of God in regards to his word. So we just looked at the faithfulness of God in regards to his power, his protection, and his provision. The faithfulness of God in regards to his word. Numbers 23 verse 19. God is not a man that he should, be, that he should lie. Nor is he the son of man that he should repent or change his mind when he makes a promise. Has he said and he will not do Uh uh-uh or has he spoken and he will not make it good Uh uh-uh here I'll tell you how to how to pray this verse God's not like me he doesn't exaggerate and he doesn't lie he doesn't make a promise and then find reasons why he can't fulfill them that's not who he is and the more we behold God correctly in his image, the more the honor of judging him right releases the blessing of a right judgment. And so we become like him when we judge him right. I think that's, that's probably the best blessing, that when we judge God right, He blesses us with that same strength and that same anointing. I love it. 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 Listen, it's in the notes. There's more scriptures. Though the promises of God are many, they are always yes in Christ. It's us who have to say amen. That's how it's going to be. God's not a liar. So I encourage you to get the notes. But more than that, I encourage you to do what we did here take scripture break it down don't let your theology of God be formulated by circumstances because we often come to wrong conclusions and therefore wrong theology well I prayed for this and it didn't happen therefore God doesn't always answer prayers don't don't do not come to circumstantial theology. Judge God by what God says he is. Because no one knows God like God. Amen. Come on stand. I was trying really hard to keep it short. How how do you keep it short and, and, and get excited? God is good. Come to Bible college. But more than that, more than that, come to Jesus. Come on, come to God. Every one of us have got to tear down the fences that have been built up in our lives that put God in a cage. You have to tear down your offenses. I can give you the tools, but you have to tear it down. You have to go up to that fence and say, you know what, this picket, that was a lie. I got angry at God and I got offended at God and really, that was my fault. I'm pulling down this picket and this picket and this picket and this whole panel I'm kicking it down. I can give you the tools but God's a God of accountability yes. He will hold you accountable for what you believe You must take the tools and pull down the lies and the strongholds Amen. and worship Him Declare his worth. That's what we were doing. When we were reading these scriptures, we were declaring his worth. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you. There's nothing I enjoy preaching more than about who you are. I thank you, God. I don't always reflect you as good as you are. But I thank you, you are far better than anything I can ever say about you. I thank you, God. That no, I don't deserve you. You love me like a son. You embrace me. You hug me. I thank you, you don't look at our failures or our mistakes. You look at us as your beloved. And I thank you that you're bigger than all of my mistakes and all of my failures. I thank you that you're bigger than all my enemies and my enemies are principles of darkness, not people. I thank you, God, that you've got our victory and you're better, way better than what religion says. Amen. Amen. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. You were born in the natural. You must have a spiritual birth. That happens when we get out of ourselves and we get into Jesus and we say, you know what? I'm broken. I make mistakes. I need you to come inside my life and live in me so I can live through you. Forgive me of all my sins, Jesus. I want you. Religion can't do that. Religion can make believe that if you ascribe to their precepts, they'll talk to the big guy and make sure that as long as you got that banner, you're going there. It's not in the Bible. You could come to this church your whole life. That is not going to get you a seat in heaven. God wants you to become a child, a son, a daughter of his. And that will only happen when you reverence him and say, Hey, come into my life. Take control of my heart. I need you. Jesus, come into my life. If you've never actually taken that stance publicly or in any way put your hand up if you're ready to do that right now come on come on as we get ready to close put your hand up say all right carmine god bless you who else good man who else who else amen you want to make a recommitment to jesus now's the time raise your hand all right then with every eye closed father Everyone repeat after me. Carmine, repeat after me. Father, Father. Thank, you for me. thank you for loving me. I don't deserve it. Don't deserve it. I've, made I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'll probably make some in the future. In the future. But I've learned today. today. You love me regardless. So I love you. I need you. Jesus Christ, come into my heart right now. Forgive me of all my sins. I don't want to belong to the enemy. I'm giving myself to you. Be my Lord and my God. Be my Savior right now. I accept you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. For hearing my prayer. Amen. 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 Come on let's give the Lord a big round of applause. (laughs) Awesome. God is good. God is good. As we keep projecting. The right image of God. Faith won't be an issue. You don't have to try to have faith when you understand who he is and you judge him right. It's a foregone conclusion. God is for me. God is with me. And God is in me. Hallelujah. Now take this and share it with 10 people this week. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday. Amen.